0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Good morning, Banner Church. Uh, So happy to be with you here this morning. It's a beautiful 90 degrees out. You've been in Arizona long enough, you know that's a blessing in August. 90 degrees, that's beautiful. Did you all see the rain last night that came? Oh, I've been really enjoying this monsoon season that we've had this year. I mean, it's just been so beautiful. I think, honestly, my best moment of the whole year so far happened to me about two months ago in June. Do you all remember when we got that crazy storm that, like, blew over palm trees and, like, the, the roads were flooding and all that? Well, right before that storm happened, I, I was doing my final graduate school class before I graduated this summer, and I was doing a course on Shakespeare, and I was reading King Lear for this course. How many of you have ever read King Lear? Whoop, whoop, yeah, we hear it for the bard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the nerds know uh, it's all right. Anyways, I'll show you the literally the best moment of my year is I'm reading King Lear, and if you don't know, there's this famous moment in King Lear where he gets kicked out of his castle by his evil, power-hungry daughter, and he has to go out face the winds in this crazy storm, and he, like, tears his clothes, and he's shouting at the storm. And I'm reading that, and then all of a sudden I heard like a crack of thunder and I was like, oh, oh, this is happening. And so I quickly started trying to memorize the monologue that he says while he's in the storm. And then I ran outside in my backyard as the wind started pouring, the rain is coming and I stood in the rain and I started shouting the monologue at the top of my lungs. I was like, blow winds, crack your cheeks, blow rage. And I was just screaming. And uh, Blake, many of you know him. He's my roommate. He came outside. He was like, "Jamin, is everything okay?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, no. I'm, I'm just. I, I'm doing King Lear." And he's like, "Yeah, okay. All right, man." <laughs> best moment of the year. I'm. I'm a bit of a nerd. Best. Best. So that's. That's my moment. Well, today, uh, we are continuing our series on Elijah, looking at scriptures from the book of 1 Kings, and this has been such a fruitful series so far. How many of you have been enjoying it, looking at the life of Elijah? Yeah, it's so good. Today, I'm going to be talking to you uh, about the uh, passage right after where Pastor Katie left off last week, and the main focus of this, and this is the title of my sermon, is the rain. Is coming. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, Are you ready for the rain? Ready for the rain? Because the rain, I gotta tell you, it's coming. Now, if you haven't been here for our series, let me just catch you up real quick on where we are in First Kings. Uh, in our first week, Pastor Josh took us through the beginning of Elijah's story where Elijah is called out into a desert place, the brook of Cherith, and he is taught dependence on the Lord, taught to obey the Lord and listen to his voice. And this is at a, a critical moment in Israel's history. Israel since the time of King David has had king after king after king that does, as it says in 1 Kings, evil in the sight of the Lord. Each king fails until finally we get to the final king, Ahab and his queen Jezebel, and it says that they did more evil than all the kings that came before them that they were oppressive, they were unjust, they committed idolatry, they worshiped different idols from other pagan uh, uh, cultures that were around Israel, they were sacrificing children to the god Baal in order to get rain, and so God sends a drought, and for three years there is no rain in Israel, and Uh, In Arizona, we know what that feels like, not having the rain. We love it when the rain comes back. But it was critical in Israel because they were an agricultural community. Rain was essential to their well-being. Without rain, they couldn't farm. And without farming, they couldn't eat. And so three years, they have this drought, this famine that is hurting them. And Elijah, the prophet, is called into this moment, this critical moment. He's out at this brook for the three years there, and then, as we learned last week in Pastor Katie's sermon, he comes away from the wilderness, and he confronts King Ahab and the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel, and God does a mighty miracle in front of the people of Israel. He calls them to turn away from those false gods, from those idols, and to turn to the one true God. And Pastor Katie did such a good job of pulling out the significance there, that even today, there are false idols that we tend to put our trust in, that we've got to reject and put all our trust in the one true God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Man, I was just so blessed by that message. Well, we're picking up here today in the passage that follows that big event. Elijah has won the battle. God sent fire from heaven on that altar. He slaughtered the priests. And now we learn about the end of the story. So pick up with me if you have your Bibles or your phones with you. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, the evil king, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And the servant went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, raise your hand if you're a little confused by that passage. I know I was when I first read it, and the second time I read it, and the third time. This is a really strange piece of scripture. We cannot lie here. I mean, we got Elijah putting his head between his knees. He's out running chariots. He's putting his clothes in his belt. What is that? What is this? Like, why? What is going on? I mean, this is strange. It is strange. And I have to be honest with you. When I first was starting to prepare this message, I was looking at this verse. It puzzled me for a long time until God began to reveal some really interesting theological principles underneath it. And so I want to unpack some of that for you today. And there's really two questions that I want to answer in this message. The first question I really want to help you guys get is I think that even though this passage seems kind of... Uh, You know, it's just a straightforward telling of a story, but it's got these weird elements that there's actually a lot of deeper things underneath. So I want to answer the question, what is the deeper significance that lies beneath just the straightforward narrative that's here? Okay, that's question one that I want to answer. And then question two is I think that even beyond just the theological principle there under the scripture, there's a practical lesson regarding how we live our lives in prayer. And so the second question I want to answer is what can this scripture teach us about the power of prayer? So what's the deeper meaning behind it? And what can it teach us about the power of prayer? Believe it or not, I think that when you look at this piece of Scripture in the context of the rest of that whole book, 1 Kings, and in the rest of the whole Bible, that here we actually get a revelation, a prediction, of God's whole redemptive work in the cosmos. This is not just a story about Elijah outrunning a chariot. It's a story about God saving the world. And it's packed right here. No, I, I see the skepticism in some of your eyes. You don't believe me. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you, right? It's, you can't see it very well on the surface. I won't get into all the different theological things that go into why I think this way. I'll just simply say this, that when the Hebrew authors who wrote the Old Testament wrote these things down like 1 Kings, they're not just writing a little history book, They're not just telling you, hey, here's some things that happened to this guy named Elijah. They are very, very carefully weaving together a narrative with tons of symbolism trying to reveal theological truths. They're very, very intentional about it. And so if you read this scripture with that viewpoint, that there's a ton of symbolism packed into the narrative itself, the thing just breaks open into this wonderful revelation. Now, let me take you through this because I still see the skepticism. So follow with me. This is so cool. If we look at just the basic narrative, the historical narrative, and then put it in the context of the big narrative, we see the cosmic significance coming forward in this. So how does the story begin? It begins with a king and a queen, Ahab and Jezebel, rebelling against God, sinning. And because of their sin... Israel is plunged into a time of death, drought, decay, and despair. Okay? That's the basic narrative. Now, zoom out the wider narrative of Scripture. How does the whole story begin in Genesis? A king and a queen, Adam and Eve, rebel against God. They sin. And ever since, our world has been plunged into death decay, spiritual drought, and despair. And that's the world that we live in. Now, look back at the story. What does God do? Well, in the middle of this drought, he sends Elijah to confront uh, Ahab and Jezebel and the priests of Baal, and he tells him, I want you to perform a sacrifice up on Mount Carmel. And we're told in the story Uh, And last week, uh, Pastor Katie unpacked this, that when uh, Elijah builds the altar for this sacrifice, he builds it with 12 stones. And Elijah says, I'm using these 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you catching this? Oh my goodness, in the narrative, what happens in the story of Scripture? uh, From the time of Adam and Eve, God chooses the nation of Israel, these 12 tribes. And he says, through you, I'm going to bless and save the whole world. We have this history of the 12 tribes leading all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ the sacrifice that is built upon the altar of those 12 tribes. And there is a sacrifice that happens on a mountain just like Mount Carmel, the mountain of Golgotha, where Jesus' sacrifice consumed. And through that sacrifice, God proves that he is king, not Baal. He is king, not the idols of this world. Amen? Amen. How cool is this? So then what happens after it? Well, in the passage I just read, after God reveals his power through the sacrifice, Elijah calls on the people of Israel to repent, turn to God, and he calls on God to restore the rain in the land. Remember that rain for these people, these agricultural communities, rain meant life, it meant fulfillment, it meant wholeness. And so, when we zoom out of the small little narrative of Elijah to the big narrative of scripture, what happens? Oh my goodness, after the sacrifice of Jesus, after his resurrection, what does he tell his disciples? Repent. Call on people back to me, and I will pour out my spirit like a mighty rain upon all the peoples of the earth. My blessing, my life, my wholeness, my healing will be poured out just like that rain a thousand years before in Israel. This is so cool. Uh, In the moment of Pentecost in the book of Acts, when the disciples are gathered together waiting for that blessing, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls. They begin speaking in tongues, there's miracles, and Peter comes out and gives a sermon to try to explain to people what's going on. And what does he do? He goes back to the Old Testament prophets. And he quotes a scripture that predicted exactly this. If, if you turn your Bibles with me to Joel chapter 2, this is what Peter quotes. He says, Be glad, people of Zion, people of Israel. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. And then if you jump down to verse 28, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth. Wow. Here's the significant thing I really want to draw out here. You need to hear today that the same Spirit of God that brought down fire on Mount Carmel and caused the rain to come back to Israel in Elijah's time is the same Spirit that poured out on the disciples at Pentecost. And the same Spirit that came in Elijah's time that poured out on the disciples in Pentecost, that same Spirit is here this morning. And he wants to pour out his blessing and his miracles and his fulfillment on you. That's what's going on in the scripture. It's not just a man putting his head between his knees and out running a chariot. We're getting a glimpse of the Holy Spirit coming. It's an incredible thing. So that's the theological principle that's in this verse. Pretty cool, right? Now let me unpack something for you about the practical matter here. I think that this piece of Scripture in particular, because it's talking about the pouring out of God's Spirit, it also teaches us how to engage with that Spirit through prayer. Elijah was very keen and aware of the power of prayer and how to enter into intercessory prayer in particular in a way that was fitting with the way God designed us. In Christian prayer, we live in a bit of a paradox. Uh, What I mean by that is when you really study the way prayer works in the scriptures, we're told some things that seem to contradict each other. So for example, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 10, he says, when you pray, you need to recognize that God is in complete control. God is sovereign. So he tells them, pray like this. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Submit your heart to the Lord completely to his will. Prayer is not about changing the thing outside of you but changing what's within you. Submit yourself to the Lord. But then one verse later, it's Matthew chapter 10 or I'm um, sorry, chapter 6 verse 10, look at verse 11. He also says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if Jesus is telling us that you can actually ask for things from the Lord and expect to receive them, that almost seems to go against that first part, right? It's almost a paradox. God's in control. He doesn't change. He's all-powerful. And yet you can speak into history. You can change in some sense the heart and mind of God through your prayers. That's a controversial thing. Oh, my goodness. Wow. How do you make sense of that? In in James uh, chapter 4, we see the same paradox going on. He says in one part of the chapter, he says, do not say tomorrow I will do this or that, but instead say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. But then just a little bit later, James says you do not have because you do not ask ask and you shall receive Elijah understood this paradox and he saw a way through it he understood how to live completely devoted to the will of God devoted to his sovereignty and yet also was willing to pray bold prayers for change in the world. How did he do this? I think that there's really three principles that we see in this scripture that show us how we can live in this place of prayer. The first is Elijah listened. The second is that he prayed boldly and persistently. And the third is that he was willing to step out in faith. He listened he was bold and persistent, and he stepped out in faith. Take a look back at our scripture for the day in 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm looking at verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Look at your neighbor, and say, Can you hear the rain? Can you hear the rain? So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. What's going on here? When we look at the life of Elijah, we see that every great miracle he did throughout this whole story of his life always began with him listening to the voice of God. He never performed a miracle out of his own will. He never went out and said, well, I think I'd like Israel to experience a drought for three years. I think I'd like God to bring back the rain. I think I'd like to raise this young boy who got sick back from the dead. I think I'd like to help the widow's oil and flour last for a long time. I think I'd like that. It always began with listening to the voice of If you go earlier in this chapter, verse 1, it says, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. This is such an important principle for us to remember. God is not a cosmic slot machine for you to get bonuses out of. God is not just some genie that you can make wishes to and he'll give you what you want. That's not what's meant by ask and you shall receive. We have to begin our prayers of boldness by sitting in God's presence and attuning ourselves to his will because ultimately we want to be in the path of Jesus Christ, pursuing what he wants for the world. I have to tell you today, I, there, to me I almost think it's almost a blessing that God has not answered some of the prayers I've prayed in my life. How many of you know that to be true? True. There's some things I can remember praying years ago, and I'm like, oh, I look back, I'm like, wow, God, you knew better. Yeah, I'm glad that one didn't come true. I'm so glad. I was not attuned with your will. Uh, Richard Foster, the pastor and theologian, wrote a book on spiritual disciplines called Celebration of Discipline, and in his chapter on prayer, he says these words. He says, we begin praying for others by first quieting our fleshly activity and listening to the silent thunder of the Lord of hosts. I love that phrase, the silent thunder. Attuning ourselves to divine breathings is spiritual work, but without it, our praying is vain repetition. We must hear Know and obey the will of God before we pray into the lives of others. The prayer of guidance constantly precedes and surrounds the prayer of faith. Let me ask you today if you're honest with yourself, when was the last time that you really sought the silent thunder? of the Lord of hosts in your prayer. Really took the time to sit and listen for the voice of the Lord. The way that this practically works, it's not rocket science. It may be hard, but it's not complicated. What this means, listening to the Lord, is simply taking the time in your private prayer to say, Lord, would you speak to me, and then shutting up. (laughs) I think, I really do, I believe this. I, pray, I believe that some, some of us, our prayer lives would just skyrocket if we would begin it by shutting up and letting God speak to us first. It also involves beginning our prayer in Scripture and saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me here? For the last uh, year or so, I've been doing every morning my devotions, I begin just by reading a psalm, and I say, God, what do you want to reveal to me in this psalm? What do you want to speak to me through this psalm? And letting the Lord speak through his scripture, speak in the silent place before I ask him anything. Another form this can take is seeking the wisdom of people in this Christian community, especially your spiritual leaders, going to them and asking, what do you see? What do you discern God's will is in this situation? Listen first before anything else. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing Elijah does. Second, and this is where things get crazy, be bold and be persistent. Take a look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43. Elijah says, "'Go and look toward the sea,' he told his servant. "'And his servant went up and looked.'" there is nothing there he said seven times Elijah said go back the seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea so Elijah said go and tell Ahab hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you I love this now, this passage here, it's so brief that you might miss the drama of what's going on. Elijah's been told by God, he's listened to the voice of the Lord, and God wants to send the rain. Elijah believes in the word of the Lord, but he looks up at the sky, and it's blue. Not a single cloud in sight. So he goes to the top of the mountain, and he, he sits in this strange position. He, he squats down, he puts his head between his knees. What is he doing? really what Elijah is doing here is he's saying, you know what, I don't see a cloud in the sky, I don't see the miracle coming, but what I see spiritually is more important than what I see physically. He puts his head down like this because he knows that it's not going to help him looking at the sky, it's going to help him paying attention to God's promises, He sits there in faith, seeking the heart of God, praying. And we don't get a sense here of how long he prayed, but I can imagine it was a long time. He sits there, he prays, he tells his servant, you know, I can't look, but why don't you go to the top of the mountain and see any clouds yet? Servant comes back. Sorry, Elijah. No clouds. Tells him, go back, do it again. He prays. Servant comes back. I'm sorry, Elijah. Nothing can't see any rain. But Elijah doesn't give up. You see, here's the thing that's so fascinating about Elijah. Is that he was humble in coming to the Lord and seeking him in his listening and in his praying. But he wasn't timid. As soon as he heard the voice of the Lord, he knew where he was and he believed in the promises that God had given him. He prayed with Boldness for a miracle that no one had seen before. He prayed persistently, even when it seemed like that prayer wasn't coming true. He didn't do the strange thing that we tend to do when we pray. Uh, You know, we pray once, it doesn't happen, and we're like, well, I guess God just doesn't want to do that. I guess, you know, it's not really his will, you know. And we just live in this weird, stoic place. Can I tell you this morning, being a Christian is not being a stoic. Uh, Stoicism is the idea that you just kind of take life as it is you grin and bear it You know, like, you know stuff happens and you're like, oh, well, you know, that's the world The world is tough and I just got to kind of get my way through it grin and bear it, you know Crap happens. It just happens. God deal with it. That is not the way of christianity That is not the way. When tragedy comes our way, when evil faces us, when injustice faces us, when mountains are in front of us that we cannot move, we are told, we are commanded by God, pray against these things. Pray against injustice. Pray against addiction. Pray against the brokenness of our bodies and the brokenness of our spirits. Pray against it, and God will show up. That's exactly what Elijah does. He's got the faith to do this, and he's persistent. He goes again and again and again, and then finally he gets this little sign. The servant looks up. He's on the mountain. He looks over the sea, and he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand coming from the sea. And he goes back, and I could just imagine this servant coming back and be like, well, Elijah, like, this time, it's not nothing, but it's pretty close to nothing. There's a cloud like this big up there. and that, That's really it. And I could just imagine, right, Elijah jumping up, running down to Ahab. and He's like, Ahab, you ready for the rain? You, re- I hope you had a good meal and you're ready for a journey because that rain is coming. He's so excited. I think this is so huge for us. I think... That it's important for us as we begin to pray persistently and boldly for great miracles that we feel encouraged and that we celebrate the small moments of faithfulness that God has had in our lives. Can you see that little cloud? Can you see it? I think there are moments in our lives where we're facing great trials and tribulations. We're praying against it. We're not seeing any fruit yet. We're not seeing anything. And we just have to say, God, you know, at least I'm still alive. That's a cloud right there. That's a cloud the size of a man's hand right there. I know, God, that you're faithful. I've seen it. Even in the small things, Lord, I've seen that you're faithful, and I'm encouraged by it. I'm encouraged by it, and I see great miracles coming. And, of course, Elijah does see a great miracle in this passage. We're told in other parts of Scripture as well that we need to come humbly but not timidly to the Lord and ask that we shall receive. We're told in Matthew chapter 7 by Jesus himself, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you see the cloud? First John chapter 5, verse 14. We're told, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And I think some of you today need to really reflect on that. He hears you. You may have prayers that have not gone answered for years. You've been praying boldly and persistently, and you need to hear today, the Lord of creation hears you. He hears you. And if we know that He hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Mark Batterson, the pastor and theologian in Washington, D.C., he wrote a book called The Circle Maker, all about prayer, about praying bold prayers. And he says this in the book. I think it's so powerful. He says, one of the greatest tragedies in life are the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. God may not answer every prayer we pray the way that we think we want it answered. He may not answer it according to our timetable. But my God, I don't want to miss a miracle because I'm too scared to ask the Lord for one. I don't want to miss healing because I think, oh God, I don't know, maybe you're not. You don't really care that much about this healing that I need. I don't want to miss that because I'm too timid. I want to be bold enough to ask the Lord. You know what, God, I think sometimes we need to remember God's not offended by bold prayers. God is pleased when you have faith enough to say, Lord, can you do the impossible in my life? God is pleased by that. He celebrates you for your bold prayers. He looks to you like a child reaching up for things you can't reach yourself. And he knows how to give good gifts, as it tells us in Matthew. So be bold. Be persistent. Don't give up praying for the things in your life, for the rain that you need, the healing that you need, the breakthrough that you need. And then finally, Elijah. He's listened. He's prayed boldly and persistently. And finally, he steps out in faith because he's ready for the rain. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, The sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Here's what you have to see here. Jezreel, that city right there, historically, That is the city that Ahab and Jezebel built their palace in. It's also the place where they built all the temples to Baal. What is Jezreel to Elijah? That's the enemy's camp. That's the place where everything that's set against him, everything that wants to kill him, everything that wants to hurt him, everything that's wrong with Israel is there in Jezreel. And so as the rain comes, what does he do? He tells Ahab, Better get going, buddy. I'll beat you there. He tucks his cloak into his belt, and in faith, he begins to run to the place where there is danger ahead. Some of you need to hear this, that in our lives, with some of the things that we pray for, I truly believe that even before we see the miracle, we need to step out in faith. We need to step out in faith. When we have listened and we know it's the will of God, when we have prayed bold prayers, we need to say, you know what, God, I prayed it. I haven't seen anything, maybe just a small cloud, just a sign of your faithfulness, but I'm going to step out into the enemy's camp. I'm going to step out and do great things, trusting that you're going to send the miracle. Are you ready for the rain? Are you ready for it? Do you hear the rain? Do you see the cloud? Are you ready for the blessing? One of the cool things about this scripture, if if I could just get a little theological for a moment, let me take you off the practical end. I just want to swing back. This is just so cool. It's so powerful. Jezreel was not only the place where King Ahab and Jezebel built their palace and their temples, and it wasn't just the place where Elijah was an enemy but Jezreel is situated in the Valley of Armageddon. And we're told at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter six, that at the end of days, there will be a great battle in the Valley of Armageddon where Jezreel is. And that in that place, God will conquer all the forces of evil, that God will wipe away every tear, and that all the wholeness will be brought to this world once again see, Elijah's not just running towards the problems in his life with trust that God will fix them. Elijah's running towards the Lord's victory before it's even happened. I think that we gotta do that. We gotta walk in victory. Step out so that God can show up. I believe this. If we step out, God will show up and meet us where we are. This is something that I've seen again and again in my life, when I was 12 years old, um, I 12 years old, I, I finally got out of kids' church and started attending a youth group at my church. I was living in Cottonwood, Arizona, at the time, small little town up north of here. And I felt one night at a worship service in my youth group, that God was speaking to me. I felt like God was telling me that he wanted me to do something significant at my middle school that I was attending that year. So I began praying and seeking the Lord and what can I do and I ended up going to a youth leader at the time and I said hey I, I want to start a Christian club at my middle school will you help me do it? And she said yeah like absolutely you know let, let's do this do you know anything about starting a club? And I was like nope I'm 12. I, I don't know anything. I'm coming in fresh here. Twelve years old, and I began to work with this youth leader and to figure the, all this, the different details out of, out of how to get this club on campus, and we started it. And I remember the first week I show up, and we had bought, like, a, a stack of pizza boxes, you know, all this pizza for kids. And we get there, and we're in the classroom, and nobody showed up remember I went home. I just cried to my parents. I was like, I thought God said. I really wanted to do this. Now I've got all this pizza. I don't even like pizza that much. But my parents told me, you know what, Jamin, just keep going. I think God's going to be faithful. Keep praying. God's going to be faithful. So we did it again next week, two kids. Next week, two kids. Finally, the fourth week, I had a moment leading up to the club where uh, there was a kid in my class. His name was Ezra. Ezra was weird. Um, you ever met? You know, you ever met those weird sixth-grade kids? I mean, well, how to? This kid was so weird. <laughs> I feel bad going. Through. He, uh, I mean, he used to tell people he was a vampire, and like he really believed it. Like <laughs> he wasn't joking. But I, I talked to this kid, Ezra, and I was like, Ezra, hey man, I, you know. I do this club on Tuesday afternoons after school. We got pizza. Would you like to come? And he was like, oh, maybe I might come. I don't know. And I said, well, you know, if you get the chance, just come out. And so he showed up that week. And he, at the end of our time in that group, came forward to receive salvation. For the first time in his life. And I sat there and I prayed over Ezra just as a 12-year-old. I didn't even know what I was doing. The Other youth leaders are there praying and we're just praying over this, this kid, praying that God would show up in his life. And the next week he started bringing friends and the next week it grew even more. By the end of the year, we had consistently over 40 kids come into our group every Tuesday after school to worship God. How cool is that? Still to this day, years later, I haven't been in middle school for a long time, that club is still going in Cottonwood, Arizona. If you go to Cottonwood Middle School today, it is still meeting in that same classroom all these years later, and God is doing a mighty work. All because at 12, I listened, I prayed boldly and persistently, and I stepped out in faith. This is something that's shown up in my own life over and over again. I think that 1 John says it so well. 1 John says, You, dear children, are from God and overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is a blessing that's come in my own family and in a thousand different ways. and One way that's so significant is I remember when I was a kid, I I would go to my grandparents' house. They're here with us this morning in the back here. I go to their house, and I remember my grandpa would tell me a story uh, every time, every time we met together. He would tell me about how when he was 16 years old, he was coming home from a football practice. He was walking along the road, and he walked past this empty field, and he felt something stop him. And he felt drawn into the field. He felt like he was hearing the voice of the Lord. And so he walked out into this empty field and he heard the voice of the Lord say, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Just like Moses. So as my grandpa tells the story, he told me a hundred times, Jamin, I took off my shoes and I began to pray and ask for the Lord to move. And he said that, The Lord spoke to him. What will you have? What do you want? My grandpa prayed a really bold prayer. He said, I want my entire family to serve the Lord. I want my whole family to serve the Lord. Sixty years since... My grandpa's been praying that same prayer consistently every morning, waking up around 3 a.m., praying for his family, praying that God's blessing is upon them, praying that they continue to serve in the ways of the Lord. And I got to tell you today, I don't know if it's only because of these prayers, but I got to believe in in faith. Every one of my grandparents' children is serving the Lord. Every one of their grandchildren is serving the Lord. Every one of their great-grandchildren is serving the Lord today. Every member of their family is in a church this morning. That's not the power of God. I don't know what is. I think it's time that we gotta start praying those bold and crazy prayers and stepping out in faith to see what God does. Would you stand with me this morning? I believe that there are many of you here today that are in the middle of a desert season, a dry season. You've been waiting for God to show up in an area of your life and it hasn't happened yet. And I just want to encourage you. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. With every head bowed, every eye closed, every heart open, I wanna say a quick prayer of you over you and then I wanna invite you today to step out in faith just like Elijah and come to the altars as we enter into a time of worship and receive prayer. Begin to pray boldly for your family, to pray boldly for healing, to pray boldly for the blessings and the miracles of the Holy Spirit to pour out upon you. Do you hear the rain? Let us pray. God, I pray right now over every heart that is open to you here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to meet us in this place. Pour out your spirit upon us. There's so many here, God, who have been praying boldly already for things in their life and they've not seen the miracle yet. Lord, I want to encourage them today. In your stead, the rain is coming. today, Lord, as we step out in faith, as we come forward and we seek your heart, I pray that you would meet us, that you would pour out your rain. On the count of three, I want to open up this place to us. One, can you hear the rain? Two, can you see the cloud? Three, are you ready for the rain to fall? Come forward this morning as we pray.